Hey, this is Kevin here. Welcome back to our online church podcast here with Thrive Church. Thank you so much for joining us online to listen to our message content today. We hope you enjoy our series that we're digging into called Greater Than the 99. And if you will too, make sure you download our Thrive Church app and also subscribe to our YouTube page at Thrive Church VA. Thrive Church VA. And also follow us on social for all the updates and everything happening at Thrive Church. Now on today's message. Thanks so much for joining us online today. Man, I'm excited that you've chosen to probably worship from your couch with us today and also uh, sit here and listen and watch today's message. If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. That's Luke chapter 15. Uh, There was a classified that was released in a newspaper, and what it said was this. It said, your father wants you to come home, Johnny. Would you please meet me at the town square noon tomorrow? And it had, it had signed, your father. That next day, over 100 Johnnies show up at the town square to find their father. You know, there's something important about that embrace from a father, especially when you've been far away from home or you've done your own thing, and all those guys were hungry to be embraced by their father. And that's really the story of what we've been looking at. In this series, if you just joined us, we're in a series called Greater Than the 99. And what we've been diving into is is this parable that Jesus shares in Luke 15 about a father and his son and the brother. Last week, we looked at the elder brother, and I said that each week, we're going to look at a different character in this story. And today, we're going to really zero in on this father, this patient, this loving, this caring father, because our world is hungry to be embraced not only by an earthly father, but by their heavenly father. And what we're going to look at today as we look at this story that Jesus shares is how do we actually show those same attributes to the world that that father showed to his son. Now, Luke 15, let me just catch you up if you weren't with us last week, is that Jesus is in a trilogy of teachings. And he's teaching on the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then the lost son. And what's important is Luke is a doctor that's writing this in the first century. He, he joins Christianity a little later. He joins up with Paul, begins to follow Paul, and uh, becomes one of the most influential people uh, in the New Testament. Because he writes the Gospel of Luke and he writes a book called Acts, which is the early uh, church's history. Now, Luke also was a Gentile, and that was very important. He was a non-Jew, and so when he writes the Gospel of Luke, he kind of has a different spin on it. Uh, The Gospel has impacted Luke differently than it did the Jewish people that the Gospel impacted. And so Luke inserts this trilogy of teachings into his gospel as he researched carefully. And what he's trying to get across here from Jesus' teaching is this. The Jews had to understand that they were valued by their heavenly father. Many of them thought that they were less than because they weren't, um, you know, a Pharisee. They weren't a Jewish religious leader. And they were taught that God cared more about the Jewish religious leaders, the priests, than he did about them. And so this story shows them They're loved and they're valued by God. That this lady who lost one coin, she still had 99, she left the 99 to find the one coin. The other part of this is that this one shepherd has a 100 sheep. One goes astray. He leaves the 99 to find the one sheep. Why? Because that one sheep was valued. 
And then you hear the story of the prodigal son. And what Jesus wants to get across is this. If you've walked away, if you don't feel good enough, if you feel on the fringes, your heavenly Father values you, He cares about you, and He will leave the 99 who are doing good to go after and to pursue you. You know, Ravi Zacharias said this. He said, the greatest truth of a believer is when the seeker understands they are being sought. And that's what this whole Luke chapter 15 is all about. And last week we read the whole your breakdown of the prodigal son from Luke 15. And as you understood from last week, Jesus is finishing up this trilogy, and he shares a story of a father who had two sons. And the younger son wanted his inheritance, and so he took his inheritance, and he leaves. He goes and spends it all on wild living and prostitutes. He's living, up, living it up in you know, the Middle East version of Las Vegas, baby. He is doing it, man. He's hitting the slots. He's doing everything. And then he runs out of money, and then he realizes when he comes to his senses that he had it so good with his father, and he missed that. Now, in that day and time, before we jump into today's uh, passage in, in Luke 15, verse 20, I want you to understand something very, very critically important to the context of what we're reading. That father, in a normal situation, would have disowned that son because the son was telling the father, your good is dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. You're as good. As I want nothing to do with you. And so the father at that point would have also relayed the same message to his son, you're dead to me. I never want to see you to, uh, see you again. And so I want you to look at verse 20 as the son begins to make his journey home. Look at verse 20 with me of Luke chapter 15. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I love that. Like, like I have to believe that that father was waiting every day. That he was waiting to see that son come back home. He was just patiently and aggressively waiting, like on the front porch, just looking, waiting to see the son coming. It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, and this is the most beautiful part, and we're going to dive into this next week, and we're going to look at the prodigal son next week. But I love this part here. He says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. They were raising this one calf, and if you are a vegetarian, you would say, Oh, at this point, you know, I'm not sure what the calf's name is. Um, we'll call the calf Maybell, and little Maybell got slaughtered for him. So if you're a vegetarian, you can go all there. Uh, but here's what he says. He says, we must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let the party begin. See, what we have to really understand from this story here is this. Each one of these characters represents a different part of who we can be as well. As you read this beautiful story of the gospel in Jesus, I think there's, there's no better way to explain the gospel, is that we were all that son, and we'll talk about that next week, that we all were dead to God. 
We all were traitors and trespassers. And you can find a little bit of that story in you, the prodigal son. Uh, the other part is this. You can see yourself as the older brother. Remember last week we, we saw the, uh, the older brother was not happy about this. He was jealous. He was infuriated that his father would focus more on this lost son that wasted his wealth and would not focus on him. And then also we have the father that we often miss. And we have this patient, loving father who was waiting for his son, maybe even praying. Jesus didn't say that, but maybe he was praying, waiting for his son to come home. And I want us today, as we look at these three different characters and we find ourselves in the story, I want you to look at this patient father and I want us to see how can we mimic that father to the world. We say this all the time at our Dream Team rallies on Sunday mornings. We get together uh, with our, our volunteers uh, before services, and we pray together, and we encourage. We always say this, before people ever meet Jesus, they're going to meet you. And my heart is this, is that as people meet you, if you are a Christ follower, they would see that Father in you. So if you have your notes handy, write this down today, because here's today's big idea. And it's this, followers of Jesus must have the same heart as this father. As we look at this story and we see the heart of that father, the followers of Jesus, if you're watching today and you say, I am a Christ follower, then you have an imperative. You have this mandate to carry the same heart that that father carried to mimic him to a world that desperately wants the embrace of the heavenly father. And we can show that to them. So last week we looked at the elder brother Remember, he was jealous, focused on himself, only wanted the things that he wanted. And so many times that can become us in our personal life. Remember, like we, we looked at like the elder brother as believers in churches, that we can easily become an older brother church that only cares about ourselves. We can easily become an older brother believer who doesn't care about the son who is gone. We only care about what's happening in our own little world. Now, look at the difference of this. When you look at the father and you see his attributes, there are three attributes that I kind of see from the story and that I've taken to heart in my life and we've tried to implement at Thrive Church. And the first one is this. The father had his head on a swivel, right? He was, he was able to, to look. He was not just focused on their house and everything that was happening there. He was focused on the one who had left. He had his head on a swivel. You know, you hear this all the time at Thrive, that we want your head on a swivel, that when you're out and about, you know, at the grocery store or you're at a restaurant or wherever you're at in life, your daily life, that your head is on a swivel. You're always praying and you're looking for opportunities for God to open doors for the gospel to be shared with someone. You know, the second attribute that I see is not only was his head on a swivel, but the second attribute that you see from this father was this. The father was filled with love and compassion toward the one who was far from home. He was filled with love and compassion for the one that was far from home. You know, many times I don't think that we're really filled with love and compassion for those that are far from God. And I say that because I know my own heart. Maybe you're way more spiritual than me. Maybe you're really focused and you're praying and you're just always filled with love and compassion. But for me, I'm not filled that way. Sometimes I have different beliefs and different thoughts and different attitudes toward those who are far from God. But not this father. His lost son, he cared about him deeply. And I want you to know this, if you're watching today, 
and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure this whole Christianity thing out, if you're kicking the tires of Christianity, trying to figure out what is different, the difference is this. Your heavenly father loves you. He's filled with compassion for you. He wants to pursue you. He wants you to know him more than you want to know him. That's one of the beauties of the gospel. And here's the third attribute that I see. Not only was he filled with compassion for those that were far from home, but he showed his priority of the son who had left home. He showed his priority of the son who had left home. So when the son came home, he didn't give equal rights to the older brother. And you're thinking, that's not fair. You know, my son says, that's not fair. I say, son, you, do you know what a fair is? He says, what's fair? I said, it's that thing you ride uh, Ferris wheels on. I said, life isn't fair, son. <laughs> but what's interesting about this is that father showed the value, the value of that home, that I care more about the lost son than I do about those who are just here about the son that is in the house. And we said last week it made that son angry that he didn't get the same attention, that he didn't get the same value that this, the lost son had. And so Jesus is reframing and reshaping the thought process of the Jews that he was teaching to. And then Luke, as he records this, the reframing the thought process of the Gentiles. Because when you look at this story, for many of the Jews, they represented the older brother. They were always there. They had been in synagogue they understood, you know, Jehovah God. And the lost son kind of represented the Gentile in that fact. And so his readers understood this. And so today, what I want you to understand is it's critically important that you and I take that heart of the Father, that we are able to mimic him to a world that needs Jesus. You know, um, what we live by at Thrive are vision and values. And you'll get tired of Thrive uh, eventually because you'll keep hearing vision and values unless you love our vision and values. We make it very clear. So our vision vision is 650K. We talk about it all the time. You'll see 650K when you come into our churches. You'll, you, you'll see everything talked about 650K. That's our vision. Our vision is not some you know, little crafted statement and this and that. What's your vision statement? We have what, 650K. And here's what that is. According to the National Association of Religious Data Archives, there are 650,000 people in the metro Richmond area who do not know Jesus. And most of them do not have any affiliation with any church. And so our vision here is that it's all about those who have yet to come. It's all about those who aren't in the building. If you say, well, what about me? You may be an elder brother. Because the elder brother is always concerned about himself. We're concerned about those who have yet to come. If you have got saved at Thrive, you've had your faith reignited at Thrive, you've recommitted your life at Thrive, realize this. We prayed for you because we prayed for the 650K. And don't you know a step further that this church right here is not about Thrive Church. It's not about building the biggest brand we can at Thrive and taking over Richmond and taking over the city. It's not about us. 650K goes way beyond us. It goes to other churches. We pray, we pull for, and we sow money into other churches and church plants in the Richmond area. We provide coaching to them. Why? Because 650K has nothing to do about Thrive. It's all about the community. So that's our vision. Our vision is the one who is left. Our vision are the ones right now who are watching online that are prodigals. That's, that's, that's what we're all about. 
And so that leads to values. So inside of our volunteer values, like people who serve here at Thrive, our staff, we have seven values that we live by. I'm not going to bore you with all seven, but one of our values is this. It is called greater than the 99. One is greater than the 99. That's where this whole series comes from. And so at Thrive, we teach all of our volunteers that guests matter more than you. The first-time guests matter more than you. That's one of our values. That's why we have our campus pastors and myself. We're, we're greeting people at the after party. We're hosting brand new guests. You may even get me to show you around and host you. Why? Because you matter that much. We believe every guest that is sent to Thrive is a gift from God. And if you're watching online and you're brand new with us today, you're a gift sent by God to us. Vision and values. That's why this story matters so much. And it's not only that, but can I tell you why this series and this message and this whole idea of being one is greater than the 99 matters so much to me? Because I was that prodigal son. I had a guy ask me one time, he said, oh man, you must have grown up in the church since you're a pastor. No, I didn't. I was far from God. I, I mean, my story mirrored the prodigal son. Busted with drugs and alcohol. I didn't want to listen to my, my dad and my mom. I didn't want anything to do with God. I was a traitor. I committed treason against my God. I was a sinner, dead in my sin and trespasses. And it's not just God who rescued me. We'll talk about that next week, about the, the role of the Father and, and the Son in, 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 in salvation and how that plays with Easter. We'll, we'll look at that. But here's what I do remember. There were people in my path that had the heart of the Father. They had that heart. There were people in my path, realize this, that showed me love and compassion. There were people in my path on my faith journey before I ever came to know Jesus that had their head on a swivel. And I want you to be able to embrace this idea, this, this concept of being like that father. And I tell stories all the time here at Thrive Church. Why? Because I want you to understand this right here, that people desperately need you to live out your faith much like this father. People need that. And here's why it's so important. Not only are heaven and hell on the line, but can I tell you something even more important than that? As a church, we've got to be that way. Like as Thrive Church, I know we're not gathering physically. That This band will be lifted. Things will get better. We'll come gather again. And my biggest fear is we'll be so excited about each other that we forget about those who are going to walk through the door. They're giving God one last chance. And I firmly believe this, as this is my own opinion, but I firmly believe this. So in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is like, he's applauding some churches, and he's, you know, correcting some churches as well. And with a few churches, Jesus says this, if you don't correct your ways, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What does the lampstand represent? I believe it's the favor of God on a local church, a local body of believers, whatever the name is. I believe it's God's blessing upon them to reach people far from God. And I also believe this, I'm convinced of this, that when a church and, and believers that make up the church, that's what the church is, it's all of us gathered together, right? We are the church. But when we lose that focus, here's what I believe what happens. God will remove your lampstand because you've become so inwardly focused, you have forgotten the heart and the mission of God. And this is why it matters so much. I don't want God to ever look down and say, Thrive, you did really good for the first seven or eight years. 
But as budgets increase and you hired staff and you start doing production, here's what happened. God's looked down and said, you became focused on yourself more than those that were far from me. And because of that, I'm going to remove your lamp lampstand and I'll find a church that's serious about it. See, all churches go through a life cycle, right? Birth, they have success, they plateau, and they die. And one of the reasons that churches die, they lose this concept. That's why I'm always provoking you to it. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do? And here's what we have to do. Our next step today is this right here. To have the same heart of the Father, we must care more about the lost than ourselves. Write that down if you're taking notes today. To have the same heart of the Father, we must care more about the lost than ourselves. But so many times, we care more about ourselves than those that are actually far from God. We are more like the elder brother than we are this father. I shared examples last week of people who say, you know what, I just want a church that's just going to feed me, that's going to, you know, whatever that means for you. I want you know, longer, deeper teaching and worship, or I want, you know, whatever it is. I mean, whatever that thing is, that preference it is for you, I don't care what your preferences are. But here's what your heart should be. When you're part of a local church, when you're gathered, that vision should be people are getting saved, they're getting water baptized, people are coming to faith in Christ, and they're coming back to faith in Christ. And that's got to be the focus. But to do that, you've got to take the focus off yourself because you'll end up being just like me and just like so many others where you'll continually bring it all about you. And we can't do that. There are lives that are on the line here. And so how do we do this? How do we have the same heart of this, as this father? How do we live out the actions of this father? And there's two things I want you to write in your notes today. Very simple, two things. The first one is this. Understand that we are missionaries. And you're saying, Kevin, if I hear that one more time, good. I want you to understand our values. If you can't walk out of our door and quote our vision, 650K, and you can't quote our values and living on mission is one of them, then I have failed as a pastor. If I'm just teaching you five ways to, you know, to make your home happy or three ways to have better walks on Saturday afternoons, I'm not doing my job. My job here is to make sure that you understand the heartbeat of the Father and that we live that out as a church. Understand that you're a missionary, that your daily routine, God is putting people in your path and he's trying to wake you up Wake up, McFly. He's trying to get you to understand that your purpose is not found by you digging deeper and becoming something. Your purpose and my purpose is to be a missionary to everybody we come in contact with. And that's the purpose of this local church as well. And you may say, let me just say this, you may say, yeah, but I'll pastor, I got it. But can you help me out with something? When we start to physically gather once again, not only do you live it out in your community, but when you come to church on Sunday, don't try to bog down greeters talking to them and let a first-time guest come by. I tell people this all the time. I will drop you like a bad habit on New Year's Day if I see a first-time guest or somebody who looks new at Thrive Church that does not know what's going on and needs some help. Why? Because I'm even a missionary on Sundays because God is sending people. You say, Kevin, well, uh, is it really that important? Let me say this. You can talk to these people all week long. And here's why this matters to me. Listen closely. I walked into a church 20 years ago, March 1st, 1999, I walked into church. I was invited by friends who were non-believers. Why? Because believers didn't invite me. They thought I wouldn't come to church. 
You got people in your life, you're not even fighting the church. Oh, that guy will never come. Unchurched. God had to use the unchurched to get me to church. So my skateboard friends invited me in. And can I just say this? What I do remember about that night, there are several things I remember, but I remember distinctly that these young people, it was a, a student ministry night, a worship night. They were worshiping and they were, um, you know, had a message on. It wasn't just, you know, cake and ice cream game, and games. We didn't do any of that. I came in and heard the gospel and these people embraced me. When I walked in, they're like, hey man, how are you doing? What's your name? Man, it's so good to have you here. I'm like, these people are really nice. It's scary, right? There's something, something's up. They're going to try to sell me something in the night, all right? They've got me here to sell me their product, right? Which they did have a product called the gospel. But I say this here is that you're a missionary outside of the church, but even inside of the church, you never know what it means to someone like me who comes in that needs to be embraced by a person. So then I can know my heavenly father wants to embrace me. Because here's what I thought. When, when, uh, okay, so, so fast forward to that or, or rewind to that Sunday. I got saved on a Monday night at a youth service. That Sunday, I'm driving back from partying. As I'm driving, I'm driving by all these country churches because that's where I live was in the country. And I was looking at them. I was thinking, man, they would never, I want to go to church, man. I want to give my life to Christ. But I, I was scared to death of church people judging me because I had leopard print hair. I was a skateboarder. I didn't have church clothes. Could you imagine me walking into one of those churches? I said, man, I just, they wouldn't embrace me. I wanted God to embrace me, but I was scared of the Christians out there because they were so focused on themselves. When people come into our assemblies, we start physically gathering again, again together. There are Kevin Bordeaux's out there that just want somebody to embrace them to say, I accept you. And when that happens to them, you know what happens? Then they embrace the Father and are embraced by our Heavenly Father. They accept Christ. Understand that you're a missionary. And finally this morning, I want you to understand this. Here's the second thing. Be filled with compassion toward those who are lost. Be filled with compassion towards, the, towards those who are lost. So many times we get angry at unbelievers, angry at their language, angry at their lifestyles, angry at their whatever their politics are, angry at their choices, angry at their driving. Of course, you know what I'm going to say this. Some of the people, most people who are non-believers can drive better than some of you believers, and they're actually nicer about it. We have these Thrive decals at our Connection Center. When we start gathering again and you want one, we're actually going to do a driving test, and we're going to follow you around like some of those little insurance companies do, and you have to put the thing in there, and, and we're going to make sure that you have good driving and you don't flick people off, and then you get a Thrive decal. But we're so angry at those who are far from God, who, who don't even think about God. We make them the enemy. We're, that's God's purpose. Our purpose, remember, is being a missionary, but you got to be filled with compassion. You know, Jesus, when he looked at all the people of Jerusalem, and many of them had, had checked out on God, they were going through the motions of, of, of the religious system, he didn't look down on them and say, man, I'm ready to smite them, right? One of those Old Testament biblical worlds, I smite thee. He wasn't going to do that. You know what Jesus looked? He looked and he had compassion because those people were like sheep without a shepherd. Our world is like that. And friends, can I tell you, our desire is this, that we live out the same actions of this Father. 
that we're always looking for opportunities. We're always praying for gospel opportunities. We don't make church about us and, man, let's sing my song. and a jig. We make church about those who have yet to come. We make our lives about those who have yet to receive the gospel. Because all of us can slide right back in to that elder brother syndrome. So I want to pray for you this morning. As, as you're watching here today, I want to pray for you. And then after that, we're going to give some next steps for you. So if you will, this morning, right where you're at, let's just pray together and let's ask God to help us do this. Because if not, without the help of the Holy Spirit, this will not happen in our life. Let's pray this morning together. Father, we ask for your help this morning to live out your heart to people who are far from you. We pray that you would help us with this. In Jesus' name.